Hello and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in the ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth and with me today as always are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing season 6 episode 17 which is titled Viable Options. The episode aired on April 6th in the year 2000. Lauren, what was going on in that week 22 years ago? At the 72nd Annual Academy Awards Ceremony, nothing matters because The Matrix wasn't even nominated for Best Picture, but it did win for four other awards. Oh, and that creepy movie American Beauty, starring a pedophile and Annette Bening, wins five awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor. The, I just call them like I see them, folks. Was that the one you wanted me to cold read, or was it the next one? I don't know, it's uh, the movies, the, gotcha. the, the box okay. office one. The quaint fucking, like... Just how quaint we were as a society in, you know, pre 9-11 America, where a fucking movie about a bored middle aged white dude and a plastic bag won every award. Like that was the height of fucking artistic cinema at that point in history. That I mean, there's I've seen it a few times there. There is a, some good legitimate parts. There, there. There is merit to that. But, yeah, it should not have blown out as much as it did. No. I want to go tell. I've, I've ever since I've seen it, I've always wanted to go tell a boss to go fuck themselves. Though in the way Kevin Spacey does in that movie, that's fair. Yeah, it's it's a it's a move, but don't be a pedophile. D- don't be a sex pest at all. Yeah. But anyway, at WrestleMania 2000, aka WrestleMania 16, WWF Champion Triple H retains his title after defeating The Rock, Mick Foley, and Big Show in a fatal four-way elimination match. Yeah. Now, is it Big Show or the Big Show? It's it's going back I, and forth. Okay. Yeah. When I looked at when I looked it up on the on Wikipedia because I was because I was curious about that too because I was like like I always hear it as the Big Show. Same. Like it's I saw it listed as Big Show with parentheses. The the, so. <laughs> the, the title has oscillated, I believe. Yeah. But anyway, um, Aaron. But I was going to ask Daniel if he had any thoughts on this. Sorry. One. Go ahead. Uh, it is a wholly underwhelming show. It's like it, it, it. What's so crazy is that uh, the year two thousand is arguably the greatest year in the history of professional wrestling. At least, especially for this company. Like the year two thousand is just like nonstop hit after hit after hit. And this is like the one exception to that, where it's like it's not that it's bad. It's just kind of boring. And like there's uh only one or two matches from the whole card that really you need and the rest of them are very disposable it's uh notable for being one of the only wrestlemania it might be the only wrestlemania without a single one-on-one match really Uh, every match on the card is either a tag team match or a some combination of like a triple threat or a fatal four-way or something like that so there's no just like this guy versus this guy not a single match I struggle with like multi multi people matches just because it's like I I have trouble like focusing on it in the same mm-hmm. way that I do for a one v one. Yeah. So yeah, and and just most of them are not particularly good. And then the other thing that's notable about it is what we just mentioned here: uh, Triple H winning. That was the first time in the history of WrestleMania that the bad guy won at the end <gasps> of the night. Uh, never before WrestleMania was always the like capper of the the year's storylines. Before that, it was always the good guy finally triumphing and and getting carried off on his shoulders as the you know band plays and the confetti yeah. drops. This was the first time that the bad guy won, and it was 
just about as flat as you would imagine. Like everybody was really waiting to see Triple H get his dick kicked in and it didn't happen. And it was pretty fucking flat. Isn't this the one that Foley came back to wrestle for after he'd essentially retired? Yes. And yeah. it was really not great. <laughs> Mick Foley, uh, God, how, how deep into the wrestling weeds can we get? Uh, Mick Foley retired <laughs> ostensibly air quotes forever uh roughly four weeks before this like less barely a month ago he um he was he fought in a match against triple h and Ah. lost with the stipulation being that if he lost he would have to retire forever and then in wrestling world nothing's ever permanent so just a couple of weeks later he's brought back by future president trump cabinet member linda mcmahon uh to join this uh fatal four-way elimination match uh at wrestlemania so that he can get his wrestlemania moment and his wrestlemania moment was being eliminated second uh and getting his shit kicked in uh so i think he has said in the years since that he regrets this that he he regrets doing this he mentions it in the afterword of um, Have a Nice Day. Yeah, like this was just generally like, I get what they were going for, you know, because that was kind of the one thing missing from his career, you know, prior yeah. to retirement the first time was kind of that big WrestleMania moment. And so I get the impetus to want to do it, but th- this ain't it, Chief. Yeah. Uh, I-, I will move on as much as I could talk about this. <laughs> talk about this for god knows how long uh aaron brockovich fends off newcomers the road to el dorado and the documentary film about daniel's life high fidelity to take its third and final week i i don't know that it's a documentary about my life the main character is kind of a miserable shit and i hope I'm, i hope i don't have that much in common with him uh hey, you recommended but, the movie to me yeah i will say it is unquestionably one of my favorite movies of all time and it is probably my favorite movie of this era like we we will have to do a lounge episode um, on my feelings on High Fidelity after Lizzie and I watched it for the first time. Because hmm. it's not—it's not for everybody. No, you know, it's definitely it, it not. It speaks to a very specific experience of life, which is you know, white male, which is a lot of movies. But like, it's—it just like I it, said, we it can... hit Jake and I especially at exactly the right age and exactly <laughs> the right point in our lives we'll we'll revive tpc just for lauren shits on high fidelity um say my name by destiny's child is the number one song also for its third and final week oh boy wow after all of that uh what else was on that evening at 8 p.m friends starts us off with a rerun at 8 30 uh, our new series one of our new series daddy-o with the episode crackers and punishment uh, at 9 p.m., okay. Frasier... I know, I, again, don't write them, just read them. 9 p.m., Frasier with the episode Morning Becomes Entertainment. And at 9.30, Battery Park with the episode How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? This week's episode had 27.5 million viewers tuning in, directed by Marita Grabiak, doing her first of only two episodes that she would direct. Uh, she is also known for directing uh, multiple episodes of the TV series 911 Lone Star, Angel, and Smallville. Hey, uh, I know. I like some of those. Yeah, she seems like kind of a journeyman TV director. She's done at least one episode of a lot of different things. So, uh, And written by Patrick Harbinson, doing his final episode of three previous ones of his we talked about were Family Matters and Green with Envy. And we open the episode with Chen and Carrie uh, chatting just about patient status and everything. When Romano comes down to check on the ER, he says he's going to get in the trenches today. And right as he says that, two guys come in fighting and Carrie and Robert break it up. Um, Malucci jumps in to help. 
and one of these patients will be a through patient for the episode. Yeah, we get our, our two uh, patients here, uh, one more notable than the other, both in storyline and in just kind of career longevity. Uh, the first guy, Randall James, the uh, tw- he's kind of looks like he's in his mid twenties, black guy. Uh, he is played by actor Ransford Doherty, who appeared in stuff like Shameless, uh, Major Crimes, and The Closer. And our other guy, Terry Waters, uh, the white guy who's kind of in his mid forties. Uh, he is played by definite oh hey it's that guy uh, Mitch Pileggi who appeared in the the movie Basic Instinct and Shocker and is certainly near and dear to my heart for his long running role on the tv series the x-files where he plays skinner the uh boss of Mulder and scully uh in that show uh that's where it was that i knew him from yeah i i love mitch pelegi i i think he's a fantastic actor he is uh but he's also so like ingrained in my head as his role in x-files that it is hard for me to see him in other things uh and i found him a little bit underutilized in this episode, but we'll get into that as we go along. Uh, but he has uh, got 106 credits to his name. Uh, not our high watermark guy, though. We will have somebody else who will knock him off a little bit later. Uh, but for now, uh, we getting into the actual patient or, or the, the trauma, I guess, that you could uh, call it. Uh, they were in a MVA and a road rage incident that has led to this continued brawl in the ER. Uh, and in the middle of it, uh, Terry gets up off the gurney and goes and stabs Randall in the face with a pen that he grabbed out of Romano's pocket. In the cheek. Yeah, I realized, like, mm. as they pulled away, it was in the cheek. Right in the cheek. Right in the cheek. And it's, oof. <laughs> uh, so they... <laughs> this is, I want to, for the, love of, for the love of God, I would love to know how they did this. Because you see the pen in his mouth, too. Yeah. I it's would imagine just, uh, since since you don't actually see the like entry point, I I would think probably latex on the outside with a half of a pen and then makeup to match and then the other half glued to the inside of his cheek. I would imagine is probably the the seems like it would hurt. Yeah, just probably not comfortable. Or you could probably like if they had like a like piece of plastic that would slide in just to hold it kind of firm back by the teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be it too. Because I can't um, imagine adhesive would work really well on the inner cheek. Mm-mm. Either way, very, very gross and very cool looking at the same time. Yeah, it's a good visual. Um, and Malucci is like very concerned about it. He's like, holy shit, like what should we do? Should we just yank this out? And, and Romano's like, no, no, hold on. We got to make sure there's no damage to the vein or my pen. Like It's a very, like, very excellent on-brand Romano line. This is actually a really good Romano episode. I was just going to say, this is an episode that by the end, um, I was just like, I really like Romano. Jake's going to hate me for that, but I was like, I really enjoyed Romano this episode. I don't, I don't know if it makes me like him anymore, necessarily, but yeah, I, I, I do think, yeah, I do think he's my MVP of this episode. Um, but so they, they put Terry back on the gurney, and this time put him in soft restraints, and then that leads us right into the intro with more bangs. Sorry. Sorry, Daniel. Tiny twinkles, we hardly knew ye. It's fine. I got I got one. That's all I need. Well, we'll go out, come out of the intro and go to our first audio clip. Uh, Mark and his dad are waiting for, I'm assuming, a doctor's appointment for... The oncology. Then, yeah, do they make it explicit? No. Mm-mm. What they're waiting for? I don't know. Put it back on, Dad. I don't need it. <laughs> Makes me want to sneeze. And I don't need you waiting around. 
don't want to worry about you taking it off. Well, you better get used to it, because I've made up my mind. I'm not going to be doing my dying in your cramped, thin-walled, second-floor walk-up. Maybe we ought to think about moving. Stop, Mark. You, do, you know what I mean. Even if I stay in Chicago, I want to get my own place. How's that going to work? Well, I'll get somebody to help if I need it. No. You'll just ignore it like you've been doing for the last year. I know you, Dad. No, you don't. You, you might know this disease, but you don't know what I want. You know, I don't want to have this conversation Then right don't. It's so good. It makes me want to sneeze. <laughs> Those things are quite uncomfortable. Yes. I get my limited experience with them. Listen to your fucking... The, the, the theme of this episode is, Mark, for the love of God, will you please listen to your goddamn dad? He knows exactly what he wants, and he knows exactly how to get it, but you're a little shit. Mm-hmm. It's very... I can appreciate it, though, like, in, on a micro scale, absolutely, but I, I can definitely appreciate where this episode puts us in the larger arc between these two and, and where we're headed with them very shortly. Um, so it's a nice like mile marker of kind of to appreciate where we get to go to. This is still where we're coming from. Like they've gotten better. They're, they're miles ahead of where they were in fathers and sons and, uh, uh, family matters, but like, we're not quite there yet. Like they still got a lot of growing to do between the two of them. Agreed. Uh, but then we go over to Luca is working on a gentleman and is giving him his lab results back. We find out he is getting a kidney transplant, and Luca's like, oh, you're very lucky, to which the gentleman replies, if I was lucky, I wouldn't need the kidney to begin with. And Lizzie, you made a note of who this character is. Yeah, uh, his name is Mr. Fletcher, and spoiler alert for season, I think it's season eight. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's season eight. Um, he's the guy who gets bent and fired. I didn't remember that at all, yeah. so I was... <laughs> he, gets bent, he gets bent and fired because... Uh, he like he doesn't have insurance or something like that, so Romano's like, no, send him somewhere else, like to get to get this procedure done. Whatever, we don't, we can't afford it. And Benton reports reports that oh, anonymously that to to like the it's like an MTAL violation is what they call it or something like mm, that. Yeah. yeah. So in retaliation, uh, Benton is fired by Romano, and it becomes yep. a whole thing. Interesting. I completely had blanked that out, so good catch. Uh, and Mr. Fletcher here is played by actor Jerry Black, who appeared in stuff like Reanimator, The Majestic, and National Lampoon's Vacation. He is, a, as Lizzie alluded to, making his first of three appearances, uh, and he did unfortunately pass away in 2017, as you might imagine by his age. And I, I want to bring something up here, because this is going to be a through line for Luca. Why is the ER handling kidney transplant patients? Yeah, that's never really... Um, made clear like, like it's, it's one it's one thing if they had a trauma come in and it was like well shit we've got a kidney right here great but these are like people who've been on the unos list and are coming in specifically through for surgery mm-hmm. and they're coming through the er to have their vitals done oh, we're just yeah. getting them started down here it's just that's, uh, that's the hand is, wavy thing that yeah. they do it is kind of a flimsy premise for an a story because it for Kinda? all for all intents well it certainly for this show like th- this is a show that Usually you could at least say whatever their story is, whether it works or not, it's at least grounded in some level of reality. Whereas this one is just kind of a red, like a, a sticks out like a sore thumb where it's just kind of like, this is just odd. Like this doesn't belong down here. It would be fine if it was like 
Benton's main storyline yeah. was going through these people, not or, Luca. Or yeah. Lizzie specifically. Yeah, yeah, or Kate. Liz, we'll get into that. Or, but, if, um, or if there was a trauma involved, you know, yeah. and, and they were trying to get, they had these patients already waiting maybe in, uh, that had been admitted, and they had a trauma come in with a, a kidney or something, or just the, the, something. Or maybe following Elizabeth going to retrieve the kidney. Like, right. you know, there, there's many oh. other angles you could have done with this that this seems like the least sensible one. I, I want to point out, when I said this last night while we were taking notes, Lizzie looks at me and goes, well, shit, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's one of those things that, like, you, if you don't stop and think about it, you wouldn't really question it. But if you stop for five seconds and think about it, you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, why are we doing it down here? It's, yeah. I don't know. Never in my life have I not been prepped by the surgical nursing team for an operation. Right. Yeah. Certainly not by the... Uh, Hot, ER. hot Croatian doctor in the ER. That would be weird. Uh, that would have been nice. We but... we go from there uh, to the uh, we we go from there to our uh, patient from the beginning of the episode, Terry. Uh, he's now in a room talking to his daughter, presumably his daughter, uh, mm-hmm. about the accident this morning, uh, and she admits that he's been repeating himself and he's been clumsy and agitated recently and says that this is not like him at all. He's never displayed any sort of temper before. Uh, and since she's been in town visiting this week, he's been uh, lashing out and clumsy. So concerning developments for Mr. Waters here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ben's storyline for this episode, though, is uh, he's checking on one of Cleo's adult patients. Again, I guess there's just no kids in the ER now, I guess. Uh, but the dude has a possible bowel obstruction, and he's taking opioids for back pain. Hmm. Um, he checks the guy and then looks at the film with uh, Cleo, and then he's like, oh, yeah, no, it's just a... It's just... Dude's just, like, constipated. Give him a laxative and tell him to cut back on the pain meds. Yeah. Totally fine. Totally, totally fine. fine. It, it definitely won't go anywhere, you know? It's uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though, about the adult versus child thing. Like, it just, again, shines this bright light on the fact that the whole purpose of her being here as a character is to be his girlfriend. That takes front and center stage over any sort of, like, we're not even going to bother giving her sensible storylines or giving her anything to do that is in line with what her character outline says she should do. She's literally just here to be his girlfriend, and that sucks. Yeah. Uh, then we go to a a girl is brought in who's having trouble breathing for the past two days. She said San, Fil- San Filippo syndrome since she was two, um, and she has a seizure disorder. Her name is Angie. She is severely developmentally delayed. They use the R word because, of course, they do. This is 2000. Her temp is 102, and her mom is going to get some dolls from home and asks if they can get a TV or VCR in the peds room so Angie can watch the Muppets. I would like to point out, so I watched this episode with uh, Nurse Jen kind of half paying attention while she did homework on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do that, I wouldn't say very often, but she sometimes. like, And usually when she's watching with me, doesn't matter how obscure the like ailment is or whatever it is, she's usually like, yeah, I've seen that or yeah, I've heard of it or whatever. When they came in with this one, they were like, she's had San Filippo syndrome since she was two. She looked up from her laptop on the couch and goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so Love this it. one this one stumped even nurse jen 
Um, but uh, yeah, now I want to look at this. I'm looking it up. Okay. Angie's uh, Angie's mom here is played by actress Patty McCormick, uh, who appeared in stuff like The Master, Frost Nixon, and The Bad Seed, among many, many other things. She is our high water person for this episode. 160 credits to her name, dating back, most importantly, dating back to 1951. So this woman is in her uh, fifth decade of work at this point uh, and seems like she's still uh, somewhat active, uh, at least within the last few years. So pretty impressive career. Uh, but we, uh, for now, go back to uh, the next trauma coming in, a young man being brought in with possible encephalitis slash meningitis. Uh, Cleo is bringing him in. Uh, she sees her other patient, the one Benton consulted on, waiting for discharge. And so she just kind of shoves the meds uh, in his hands and then rushes out the door uh, to go deal with this uh, before going back to the trauma. Uh, the This patient is potentially septic and severely dehydrated. Uh, and Cleo wonders if he has uh, diabetes. Uh, and I believe it's Yosh who's working the trauma with her. And they say he was in five months ago for gastroenteritis. Uh, and Lauren, whose films are those? And I want to note here because it becomes important a little bit, not not important, but they do make note of it a little bit later. And I I can't wait to be pedantic about it. Mm-hmm. They yep. note, I was just yep. <laughs> they note in the trauma here they take his uh, blood glucose uh, because nobody did it when he was there five months ago. Uh, they take his blood glucose and it is noted that it is four hundred, which is really fucking high and is a big problem. Um, and they start giving him medication to correct that um but keep that number in mind 400 is important to remember i'm just gonna say i was just thinking about this because i was like did i get it here or do we talk about it later so thank you for bringing up (laughs) that i i didn't realize what was so funny about this until you just mentioned that but i read my notes and i was like that's okay so yeah we'll get into it yeah we will get into it 400 keep that number in mind uh but uh cleo also notes looking at the chart that she sees carter took care of him last time Hmm. did it did like did anybody else in the group remember what this patient was as soon as it came out exactly what this yeah the minute the minute they started describing what his condition was i was like oh yeah of course it's so and so yeah yeah but uh corday has shown up with the kidney uh Lucas says that Mr. Fletcher unfortunately has an unstable has unstable and is it angina, ang- angina or angina? I've angina. heard I've heard it both ways. I th- I believe they say in the episode angina, but it's I've I heard thought it both I heard ways. them say angina, I've but heard- I also pronounce everything wrong. So I have His heard it sucks. both ways. <laughs> yeah, his heart sucks. Let's put it that way. And the uh, is no longer available. He's no longer cleared for surgery. Uh, but there is another Chicago person on the Unos list that's coming in. Also, everybody, go listen to the song Kidney in a Cooler by Keller Williams. You're welcome. Uh, Cleo confronts Carter about Eddie Bernero, the diabetes kid from the trauma. And Carter, what is with that hair? It's like a really fucked up faux hawk. Um, <laughs> Paul Sabricki took that knife to his hair, too. Jesus. Yeah. The crutches change a man. He needed to lose some weight somewhere, so he just started with his hair. It, I guess. It seriously um, looks like he got into a fight with a lawnmower. Like, a that, little bit. That hair is bad. Uh... Somebody does comment on it in the episode. I don't remember who, but it's one of the nurses. Like, oh, nice hair, Carter. I think it's tuning uh, in. I think it's right after this. Yeah. Uh, but he is pulled away before they can really get into it because his patient is having a seizure. Ruh-roh. And Daniel? So, yeah. So, remember just like literally minutes ago in the trauma when they talked about how the kid's uh, blood glucose was 400? 
Well, now that uh, Cleo has had a moment to uh, assess the situation and is, you know, pissed, uh, she comes out. And I don't know if this is exaggeration on her part just to make him feel worse or if uh, it's a writing goof or what. But the kid's glucose has now more than doubled to 980, according to Cleo. Uh, she she tells Carter that's a dead that, kid, <laughs> right? She tells Carter that the kid's blood glucose tested at 980, and why didn't you test him for diabetes? And I was like, dude, like five minutes ago, you said his blood glucose was 400, and you gave him insulin, so I'm pretty sure it's didn't double in the last five minutes. Uh, but I don't know. Oh, then we go back. The next kidney recipient is in and being checked by Luca. This is a young woman named Mrs. Bassett. And again, why are these being handled by the ER doctors? Daniel, take it away. Fair question. Uh, Mrs. Bassett here is played. Lots of kind of sort of, oh, hey, it's that people in this episode. Um, we'll get another one later in the episode who is like a definite, perfect example of an oh, hey, it's that person. But uh, this one here, Mrs. Bassett, is played by actress Leslie Silva, who appeared in stuff like Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Fools Rush In, and Shades of Blue. And uh, Mrs. Dwyer has come back with toys for Angie. She's a Angie is a very tough stick because she's had so many IVs over the years, mm-hmm. just treatment. Because she has, I guess, part of this condition is she gets pneumonia a lot, yeah. which is what they think that is what they're pretty pretty certain it is, and. It's like, oh, yeah, she usually gets so-and-so medications for it. And then Carrie's like, oh, yeah, we'll do the same. Don't worry about it. Um, Turns out Mrs. Dwyer is only her foster mom. Her birth parents abandoned her, and DCFS is technically her legal guardian. Um, And this relates, and this comes into play because they want to put a central line in to to get fluid access and whatnot. But Mrs. Dwyer cannot give consent because mm-hmm. not she's just take she's just taking care of her it's mm-hmm. like a it's like if a nanny brought a kid in or something mm-hmm. like that right um but mrs dwyer wanted to adopt her but unfortunately could not afford the medical bills that would come along with it yeah capitalism strikes again mm. i think being bedridden like she is i think makes pe- makes you more susceptible to pneumonia as mm-hmm. well because you can't you can't like sit up and cough. It's the same reason why they want you up and moving right after surgery and why mm-hmm. they want your lungs to get engaged right away and the diaphragm. Those pricks. It's to help. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm yep, I know, but it's still it's to help get all that gunk moving and keep it from congesting. It is for a reason. Yep. Pricks. <laughs> Well, we go from there uh, up to the PICU, uh, where Carter is there to talk to Mr. Bernero about uh, his son. Uh, Turns out he's stabilized. And I think at this point, uh, Nurse Kit, Uh. uh, I think she says his glucose is down to like seven something. So it's like... I missed it. we're, We're like, we're like three... I mean, which granted, at least now we're headed in the right direction because they're giving him the medication. But it's just, it that's still funny to me that they doubled his glucose in the matter of minutes. Um, but so he's, he's starting to stabilize. They say that, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him, but he's more or less out of the woods and Carter pulls, uh, Mr. Bernier out into the hall and asks him what the heck is going on with Eddie and why he's worse. Because their agreement. Right. Which, you know, Carter, when he's first conf- uh, confronted by Cleo is like immediately like, I don't remember this kid. I'm sorry. Like whatever. And it's hard to get a read right away on whether or not he, because as we will recall from when they were here the first time, he sort of like bent the rules for this dad and like, and doctored the chart and whatever. Oh, 
I thought he was definitely covering his ass. He he remembered the minute she talked to him. Yeah, it's that's I, my read. My my only possible. I generally I think would agree with you. My only possible uh, uh, caveat or or counter to that would be the 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 events of the last month in Carter's life. Mm-hmm. Like that might lead you to kind of brain dump everything from the previous six months. So I wouldn't be surprised if something like this just kind of slipped through the cracks for him. But so it's at least in that first scene, it's kind of hard for me to to gauge where he's at as far as is, is he covering his own ass or is he genuinely doesn't remember. Um, but certainly by this point, I think he has brought himself back up to speed and, and knows what's going on here. And the dad says that, you know, Eddie's been doing just fine. And then this morning this all happens and, you know, he's basically throws it back at Carter and blames him for it, making it sound like in the original um, visit, you know, a few months ago, basically makes it out like well you didn't make it sound like it was that big of a deal or that it could get this bad so this is basically your if fault it was, if it was gonna be so bad why'd you let him go yeah so after he put such the hard sell on carter to get him to play ball in the last time around like <laughs> and i i love how carter's like oh and you're not at all culpable yeah every, this is kind of one of those perfect examples except for the kid where like everybody sucks here like every yeah. everyone involved with this situation sucks <laughs> no, there are no good guys in this situation. Uh, continuing with that, uh, Adele is on the phone with DCFS to get Angie a signature from her legal guardian for the central line. Uh, Carrie hops on the phone and chews the guardian out, asking if he's ever even seen Angie. And like, because he doesn't even know what her condition is. And uh, he says that she should be given pain meds and made comfortable, to which Carrie hangs up and is like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> So, and I'm just going to say this right now to get us, like, in preparation for a scene a little bit. Carrie kind of reminds me of Doug this episode. Yeah, a little bit. That That's a Doug move. That is a Doug Ross move, especially with a, a child involved. And it's and it's going to get even and, more Doug. And deadbeat guardians. Like, that that is uh, most definitely a Doug Ross uh, style move. But uh, Luca finds out Mrs. Bassett is uh, eight weeks pregnant. She's to which takes her out of the running for a transplant because the immunosuppressant drugs would likely, I believe he says, either cause cause a miscarriage or if not severe birth defects. Mm-hmm. So not good for anyone involved. Mm-mm. So she has to pick between the kidney or the baby. And she and Mrs. Bassett wants to wait for her husband, but there's no time because, you know, organs are only viable for so long. So. Her, she goes with her first gut instinct, and she says she wants to keep the baby. Just a respectable so, choice. Another one off the list. Yeah. Yeah. Two two things about this. Number one, <laughs> there's a line in here where she says to Luca, like, something to the effect of, like, how could this have happened? Or, like, how did this happen? And I honestly can't remember if it was me or Jen, but one of us piped in at the moment she said that and said, would you like me to draw you a picture? <laughs> like, I mean, I could pretty much tell you how this happened. Uh, second of all, like, what is, like, obviously none of us have kids. None of us, like, cards. Obviously. Kids are, <laughs> kids are maybe not in the cards. Certainly for the two of you, I'm, we're less sure on our side, but like, but like, faced with this same situation, like, faced with I, this same choice. I'm just gonna say this. I'd be offended if we hadn't vehemently talked on the podcast and off about how Lizzie and I are never having kids. <laughs> just the fact that they're clearly not in it for you no. two. Um, we, we, but no, but for faced, several reasons, no. 
faced with this. So considering her and her husband had been trying. Yeah, I think she says for like a year or two. Yeah. So for that, if if we had been trying to get pregnant and I had to pick, honestly, I would probably in this moment go with the baby. In, In like that emotional moment of like, oh my God. It's finally happened. Hmm. Like, I think my my irrational mom brain would be like, of course I'm going to keep the baby. This is my one chance. Right. Like, another kidney might come along, but this is the only time I've gotten See, pregnant. And, and again, that, that just goes to, to show the difference of, like, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody who would ever be faced with the possibility of this situation. So, for me... Oh, it, that's also true. Jesus. For, I didn't even think about that. For, for me, it was like, I was able to be much more, like probably coldly pragmatic about it where i was mm-hmm. like i was the opposite i was like another kidney probably isn't going to come along like you're going to get knocked to the bottom of the list after this you know like right. and i just generally as like kind of a rule or not a rule but just as a philosophy think that like people get too hung up on the concept of biological children anyway so well, oh, like that's true I, that's very true i absolutely agree with that but i'm just saying like my my gut reaction in the moment if i was putting myself in someone else's shoes for someone who would sure, want children sure. I but would totally keep it. I don't know. Like but- Jen and I, Jen and I just had this like back and forth where I was like, I, I, like we kind of paused for a second and I, and I was like, take the fucking kidney lady. Like th- when are you, <laughs> when are you likely to, cause the, things have to match. It's, it's not just like a kidney falls out of the sky and then you, you get one. Like the, there has to be blood type matches. Like there has to be all sorts of like little factors, whatever. So like, this is, this is your moment. And, and if you don't get this, you're pretty likely that you're going to die. So now you'll be dead and your kid will be motherless and you want, you know, like just adopt a kid, just, yeah. just adopt a kid and keep I'm your sure, kidney. I'm sure there's plenty of infants that yeah. need adoption. Oh, if you want I, to raise the baby yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying from a purely emotional sure, no, of yeah. like if I, I was know. sitting there, but as someone who's horrified at the idea of getting pregnant and carrying <laughs> a pregnancy, give me the kidney. Yeah. yeah. You being the only uterus bearing person on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I, I, the idea of me getting pregnant scares the hell out of me just because like, I can't even imagine a, the changes they'd have to make to my medication regime, B, how the hormones would affect my seizures, C, the horror of if I had got given that kid epilepsy, like, no, I'm good. Not yeah. to mention the myriad of genetic issues Lizzie and I have. We should not re- we should just <laughs> yeah, not reproduce. No, 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 no. We'll 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 emotionally scar a kid we adopt maybe. Yeah. But I I do not want to pass my genetics on to any human. Yeah, this being. bloodline ends with me. I'm good. Thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. Well I mean and that's kind of where we're at too. Like I think at this point in our, you know, lives and, and our shared experiences, I think Jen and I are in the same spot where like if we do have kids, it's gonna be the adoption route. Yeah. And there's so to there's, me yeah, that was just so like you need a kidney. Get a fucking kidney. Like, like they're they're yeah. trying to give you a kidney. You can get another baby. Yeah, I. There's enough kids out there who need loving parents. Keep the kidney. I don't know. Of Let of all of take the its course, I'll be perfectly honest. Of all of the potential uh, patients, this episode, she's the one that annoys me the most. Like, she's the one that like sticks in my craw and annoys me the most because it's just like it's such a like I like I get that it's an emotional decision and I get that it's like weighed on her probably and she doesn't get a chance to discuss it with her partner and yada 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 whatever but just to me it's just so but just take the kidney I think for me the problem is her performance is like for lack of a better term kind of infantile 
Mm-hmm. Like she 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 comes across like she's much younger than she is. So like yeah. she's a very meek person. Yes. And I yeah. think that's really where it's like okay. Yeah. Like you're acting like you don't have the agency to make this decision and it just takes her like I don't know. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it, yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. The agency thing plays into it and also that's further reinforced by a little bit later in the episode when she's leaving and she's standing mm-hmm. at the counter uh talking to Luca when the next guy comes in. And she has, like, the most, like, straight out of fucking Mad Men casting, like, luggage from the 1960s that's, like, yep. this, like, puke green. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. who and, who are you? What era did you come from? What's, and, your, what's your plan? And she mentions her husband, like, six times in that two-minute scene. Yeah. And it's just, like, woman, it, be your own person. Like I said, of all of the patients that are potentially up for this kidney, I feel like she annoys me the most. Like, I'm not saying that she's wrong or that she's a bad person for making the choice that she did or whatever, but just like, she's, she just has the least like compelling case against getting now, it. See, and here I thought with the biggest thing we'd get in the weeds on this today was the, was high fidelity. <laughs> now I just like, now you know how I feel about annoying children in episodes. It's not that they're wrong. It's just that they're wrong. <laughs> put, Daniel, what let's put that next? on a t-shirt uh what happens next is lizzie runs into david coming off the elevator and they take a little detour to the cafeteria together so good for them we'll check back in with them a little bit later uh but for now uh chen is talking to mark about uh our angry man from uh earlier terry uh and his brain scans uh he has no signs of a mass or lesion uh in his brain uh but we do find out that his dad died of suicide when he was in his 40s and uh, Mark sees something he doesn't like and says they need to talk to Terry right away. Hmm. Always a good sign. Totally, Everything's totally fine. Yep. Uh, so let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, David and Corday are on their little, on a little snack date. I just wish you could talk some sense into Mark. Well, he's worried about you. I know he isn't. But he also thinks that he can control what's happening to me. Hell, I wish he could. But we all know he can't. I know it's a cliche to say you don't want to be a burden to your children, but at my age, I don't mind being a cliche. I don't want him to have to deal with everything. He's going to, one way or another. Can you imagine your mother allowing you to take care of her? She'd seem to push off in a canoe and head out to sea. (laughs) Well, I don't need to go to that extreme. I do want to check out that, uh, what do you call it? Uh, It's not quite uh, a nursing home. A hospice? That's it. A hospice. If I stay in Chicago, at least that'll make Mark happy. David, I don't think there's anything about this that's going to make Mark happy. There it is. Mm. That final line. Mm, mm, Which, mm. Other, otherwise, everything's... He's, he's got the right mindset. Yeah. Like, he knows what he wants. He doesn't want to put this huge, massive thing on Mark. He wants to... He doesn't want to die in someone's living room. He wants to, you know, be comfortable. Yeah. In a space where that where, where you're supposed to be made comfortable mm-hmm. at the end of your life. I do love... She'd rather push herself out to sea. <laughs> <laughs> one, th- one thing the show does... Uh, at least a few times that I can think of is like, and some of it could be 
that's how it really is for some people and some of it could be that it's just they're they're rounding off the edges for their, the purposes of television but like this show does a really I don't know if it's a good job or not but like it, it does this thing sometimes where like they will let a, a character who's dying uh act and feel and seem perfectly normal or not normal but just like perfectly fine un yeah. until they're not and like David is a, a perfect example of that. Like he, he, it's rare, at least in my life, it's rare for me to be uh, aware of or present for somebody having a perfectly co cogent conversation about going into hospice. Like usually that's a decision that gets made for somebody after they have like really, really gone downhill. And they do the same thing with Mark, like in season eight, like he is like on a Hawaiian vacation until he's not like, and it's, it's just, again, some of that might be them rounding off the edges for TV, but it just makes it so much more jarring as a viewer when you go from having this character who's otherwise behaving normally and, and how they've always been until all of a sudden in the last, you know, episode they're in or the last 10 minutes of the episode they're in, they go really f downhill really fast and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. I know my family has had discussions about it just because they don't want to be taken off guard if something does happen. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're right. On a whole, we don't see a progressive yeah. thing with a lot of shows. Um, Mark and Chen go to talk to Terry. Uh, they think he has Huntington's disease. They say there's no cure and not really any treatments right now. Um, it is genetic, and it manifests around your early 40s, usually. Likely why his dad died by suicide. And um, Terry is worried he may have passed it on to his daughter. Hmm. Because, of course, like, if you don't know you have it because it doesn't manifest until your 40s. Yeah. Your kid can get it. I mean, that's a, another fair fair point, too. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll get into the, the kind of ethical question about it a little bit later when they try mm -hmm. to get him to tell his daughter about it. But, you know, if you knew you had a something that could be passed on to your child and you didn't find out about it until after your child was already born, like, yeah. would you want to tell them? Should you tell them? Yeah. Uh, and then Cleo is working with someone about Eddie. Um, this guy is from Century Managed Care. He's going to take um, take care of Eddie. They're getting ready to, you know, um, why can't I think of the word? Transition him to another care facility. And he's trying to get to the bottom of what happened with Eddie. Like, because his, like, you know, why did you give him fluids? Why didn't his chart say he had this? Blah, blah, blah. And Cleo's like, oh, I don't know. I wasn't the one who took care of him. I don't know why they didn't do a dipstick. I don't know. I don't know. Check with so-and-so. I don't know. And uh, Mark gets involved and is now going to have to investigate it. And Cleo's like, oh, well, Carter did this five months ago. I don't know anything about it. Wah, wah. And Mark's like, do you have anything else you want to tell me once the guy walks away? And Cleo's like, nope. Carter's patient. I don't know. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Peace. So Century Managed Care, that's essentially going to be an hmo right like that's going to be a, i would yeah so like because the dad makes a big deal earlier in the episode about like oh we have great insurance now and everything and like he's fully covered and it's like well you know he's got an hmo like he's you know he's covered in the like most literal sense of the word but he is not really like yeah. it's not a a plus insurance like they're probably going to transfer him to some shitty facility from here I'm going to go over to the staircase where Corday is telling Mark that hospice is going to give a, give him a call about David. And Mark gets 
irrationally mad and saint mark yeah irrationally mad at her for encouraging david to explore palliative care options how dare he how dare he and you know they have a big argument they have a little not big argument but they have like some bickering back and forth and then corday drops the line is this what's best for your father or best for you he essentially tells her to mind her own fucking business Mm. yeah so on, so he, she should only get involved when it suits Mark. Yeah. There's a tiny, tiny little glimmer of season four, Mark, kind of rearing his ugly head here. Like, this, like, I think he literally says at one point, just butt out. Like, it's not a great look for our boy. Uh, but we, we go back down and uh, see Luca sending Mrs. Bassett up to OB in her previously aforementioned uh, Mad Men uh, luggage. Just kind of packing her up and sending her out the door hey vintage shows in always <laughs> i guess so uh vintage attitudes too apparently because she can't make any fucking decisions without her husband but <laughs> uh but uh our next uh candidate comes in the door before she can leave steve maldonado uh, if you're keeping score at home he is our third different transplant candidate of the episode thank goodness all these people are within driving distance um and again, have to ask. Well, one of them is. Well, yeah, well, we'll get there. Uh, why is Luca handling this? Like this is this is just an odd choice all the way around. Um, they send him off for some pre-op labs, uh, and our patient here, Steve, is played by actor Kai Lennox, who appeared in stuff like Beginners, Green Room, and Unbelievable. We then come back and see Chen. Uh, Checking in with Mr. Waters, uh, she got him an appointment with a geneticist to talk about his condition. Uh, but we find out that he's going to be going to court on the same day as the appointment. Dumb luck that. Uh, Chen asks uh, if uh, Joe is going to have the his daughter is going to have the Huntington's test as well. Uh, and he informs her that he hasn't told her and doesn't want to because he doesn't want to stop her from living her own life in fear of the Huntington's. And I can't remember if it's here or in the previous scene with Mark and Chen together that they make it clear that it is a 50, 50 chance that he has passed this gene on to his daughter. I think it's here. Yeah. But just like, I I sort of get, I get both sides of this a little bit. Like, and it is a sort of, it, it does bring up an interesting ethical question as a parent of like, if you know, you have, uh, genetic illness you didn't find out about it until after you already had a child and there was a as high as a, of a chance as a 50 50 chance that you might have passed that that same gene on to your child would you tell them should you tell them like it just it does bring up this really interesting question and i see where he's coming from but i feel like he's coming at it from the wrong angles you know like he you know, his big reason for not wanting to tell her is because he's afraid that she won't have children. And mm-hmm. I, once again, going back to the thing with the, the uh, other kidney candidate earlier in the episode, like people are far too hung up on the concept of biological children in this episode. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe let her get some kind of preemptive treatment or some kind of preemptive care where she could be monitored for signs of this. Like, I think, from my opinion, I think you have to tell her in his position. I think it's the only ethical thing to do. And I think if I was in her position and I found out that he kept it from me, I would be upset. But I don't know. Like, I feel like it's one of those things that is open to interpretation. I would want to know. Yeah. Because that way I know, like, okay, if I have this thing, there's no cure for it. I'm going to live my life to in the fullest in the time I ever made. Yeah. Like, I know it's a, I know sometime probably in my late 30s, early 40s or 
probably going to start to show signs of it. And, and and what is basically kind of irresponsible perspective from uh, from his standpoint, too, of basically like, I don't want her to not have kids. Why? So that she can potentially also pass it on to them? Like, so that, yeah. like, so I, that you can be a grandfather for five minutes? Like, it just... I think he means that because... I, I agree with you, but I think he means that because having her in his life was such a wonderful and enriching experience to be a parent. He doesn't want her to miss out on that just because she's afraid of passing that, it on. Um, I completely yeah, agree no. with you, but I think that's like the wholesome idea he's coming Sure, from. sure. And I mean, I get, I, I get that in concept, but uh, again, going back to the thing earlier, like there are other ways that don't involve, you know, biological children. Like you can still have all those uh, experiences and everything and not pass on this harmful uh you know condition possibly it's a flip of a coin it's 50 50 like it's i don't know it just this episode not just with this storyline but with most of the storylines in this episode this episode has at its core a lot of interesting things to say and a lot of interesting things to talk about and just goes about it in like the clumsiest way possible (laughs) like it just doesn't really like ever get to the point of what it's trying to make but i would argue that for the first time in a long time this this feels like a, a season one or two episode in the sense that it has a very strong, very easily identifiable like message it's trying to send or or like ethical question it's trying to raise, but for some reason the execution just falters. Yep. All right, uh, let's go to our next audio clip where Carrie is going full Doug mode, uh, <laughs> trying to get Mark to override the legal guardian's ruling for Angie Angie's treatment. If you sign an emergency consent, I can overturn the guardian's decision. Doesn't DCFS have to appoint me? Yeah, I already cleared it with Adele. I don't know, Carrie. This girl's gonna die of pneumonia sooner or later. Her mother wants it. Her foster mother. She's had Angie for four years. She might as well be her mother. The only reason she hasn't adopted her is she can't afford the medical bills. But the state can? How many hundreds of thousands have been spent so far? Mark. All right, all right, I'll sign. Thank you. Let me know how she responds. I will. Can I help you, Robert? My niece used to watch Sesame Street. I grew it when she was about eight. Yeah, those are the Muppets. Is there something that you need? Well, I came in here looking for Jevity and a Duboff too. By the way, we need to discuss your supply management. And I find this girl's foster parent conspiring with DCFS and apparently with you to circumvent the state authority and perform an invasive procedure on a girl who has been a gork most of her life and has no chance of recovery. Did I understand this correctly? You're overstating it. Am I? Yes. She has a potentially life-threatening infection. All she needs is a central line. And her so-called guardian has never seen her. Well, I've seen her. We have an obligation to provide appropriate care. All I'm doing is exercising a safeguard that's built into the system. You're letting your sympathy for the foster mother override your clinical judgment. I disagree, but thank you for your input. girl is not to get a central line. She's my patient. Feel free to hydrate her through her G-tube and keep her comfortable. I already have my second opinion. I'm the final opinion. I'm not getting in a pissing match with the state welfare department. It's one bureaucrat. And he is right. It's hopeless and exorbitantly expensive. Stop flogging her. Frankly, I've come to expect a higher level of professionalism from you. I'm supporting what I see as a parental decision. Angie is essentially the woman's daughter. She's her pet. Look at this girl. What kind of quality of life do you think she has? Robert. Carrie, I'm serious. No central line. 
so this is the best scene of the episode, right? Like this is It's so good. <laughs> like, this is the best. Like that that whole two minutes there. Like I, I love the little like role reversal at the beginning between Carrie and Mark, where it would normally be Mark doing the, the like emotional mm-hmm. campaigning for something and Carrie having to be the pragmatic, you know, heavy and be like, No, we can't do this because that DCFS blah, blah, whatever. Like, you get this really satisfying role reversal there, and then you get to see Romano flex his muscles a little bit, and, like, it, like kind of that, like, soft, angry Romano, like, where he's, like, mm-hmm. soft-spoken but really furious is a really good Romano. Like, that's, a, that's, that's some good stuff there. And it's just, like, this this right here is the, the, the two minutes of the episode that works better than the whole rest of it. Like, this yep. is the good shit. Mm-hmm. And... We totally realize that Carrie's like this because she was she was adopted and is a disabled individual. Yeah, right? and I like and like, I really, 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 really love that they didn't like go out of their way to like flog you over the head with that and remind you like but it's just it's just like it's just, just there, just underneath the surface yeah. if you wanted to scratch for it. But like I, I again, I think a lesser show would have like just fucking been like, hey, remember she's adopted and also has a cane, like. They would, like, yeah. They would have like really like beat you over the head with that. Whereas this, we didn't need it. It's we know, we know it's there, and it works. Just mm, chef kiss. Beat you over the head with a cane. <laughs> I'm done. Also, there, of course, because I have the attention span of one minute thirty seconds. There was a line in there that I really enjoyed, and I was like, I gotta talk about it when this clip is done. And then the minute the clip was done, I was like, fuck, what was the line I wanted to talk about? <laughs> But just, yes, that, that whole thing is amazing. And um, I do love the whole, like, it's the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Like, she's so offended that he got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. The, 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 it's a very important distinction to be made there. Sesame Street and the Muppets. Connected, fair, but not the, the same. The Muppets the Muppets are better than Sesame Street. So, you know. They're different. Yeah, they're very different. Like They are so different. In terms of Muppet-based. <laughs> apples and oranges <laughs> Ses- comparison. Sesame Street started out with Muppets. Like, that is... I know, what, I know, I know. It's I like, know. Don't, don't get me started on a whole other <laughs> diatribe about this. Like, <laughs> this episode's going to be two hours long. It's going to be just as long as All in the Family. <laughs> but for it's complete... But about for Muppets. much, much yeah. stupider reasons. <laughs> But yes, it is very nice to see Carrie get to put her Doug Ross hat on for a little bit and like right? actually advocate mm-hmm. for a patient and and see how it feels. Like it's it's very nice to have to have the bureaucracy shit on your stuff now. Yeah, when you think it's important. Also, shout out to that Nintendo TV that the uh, yeah. the oh, girls yeah. watching the uh, Sesame Street on like 10, 10 points for that. That was another thing that Jen perked up to when she saw that pop uh, come up. She was like, "Oh, those TVs." Like, uh cleo is working on a little boy with asthma his name is troy and mom pulled him right off stage at a school performance because she was concerned he was having an asthma attack and he's in in his little cute flower outfit from those like ridiculous elementary school plays he is adorable yep i want when reese in this outfit when is my question like Angie, make it happen. When when do we get this? Uh, our mom here is um, this is this is kind of a one off patient. This doesn't really go much of anywhere. Um, but our mom here is kind of other than Mitch Pelegi earlier in the episode. She is kind of our other most recognizable in the face. Uh, oh hey, it's that person. 
uh, Cleo King, who appeared in stuff like Magnolia, The Hangover, and Pineapple Express. Uh, if you are one of the millions of people who saw The Fucking Hangover in 2008, she would be a she of the not up in here fame uh, with Rob Riggle uh, when uh, I think it's Zach Galifianakis gets uh, tased in the face. Uh, yeah. yeah, she is the other cop in that scene uh, with Rob Riggle. In the first, yeah. in the first. Yes, we all, so good. We also that movie surprisingly holds up like ninety percent. Th- yeah, there's a few things that that don't pass the modern smell test, but yeah, I watched it last year and like ninety percent of the stuff was still we couldn't hilarious. Stop singing the Doug song. <laughs> I added it to my Spotify playlist. It's that I just, so good. Like that, I just have for like all the songs that I love. Like I. I uh, resent its like staying power for as long as it did as the quote unquote funniest movie of all time that we that we all bestowed upon it as a culture. Oh, it's airplane. It's it's like it was always it was always just a fine movie that had its moment and whatever. I will say though, watching that movie in theaters was one of my favorite theater experiences of all time. That I literally was I, I was crying laughing uh that during was... the tiger scene in the bathroom yes. when, when Zach Galifianakis finds the tiger. Like, ah! <laughs> I was in tears crying at that. Uh, but yes, I, I just have to say that one. Um, that was one of the first like R-rated movies that I that my friends rented or like mm. had or something that we watched in somebody's basement. And watching that was one of like just like my core memories as a high schooler. And just like with that group of friends, yeah. just it's it's embedded into my soul. It's, it's definitely a movie that's meant to be watched with a group. Like, yeah, yeah. works much better when you're watching it with other people. Um, and I'm also very glad that Ken Jeong went, went, on to, to, went on to do other things, so he's not just known yes. for this. Yes, just the naked Asian man. <laughs> I know. I re- oh, say, I think Community when I see him. I don't yeah. think this. Yes, thank God. Thank God he was able to break free. Uh, but now that we're done with our hangover podcast, uh, let's move on to uh, our bounce back patient from earlier in the episode. The uh, guy who last we checked, we thought he had constipation. Uh, oh, no. Comes in while Cleo is working on young Troy. Uh, and uh, turns out he got the wrong medication. Uh, a similar, dun, dun, dun. A, a suspiciously similar sounding one, but they do completely different things. One is a laxative. The other is a beta blocker. And uh, she, uh, so after he took it, it sent him into uh, an MI. Not great. Yeah. Massive heart attack. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, if you'll recall from earlier in the episode, it was not Cleo who wrote the prescription for this gentleman. Uh, it was one Peter Benton. Uh, and that she was, she just handed it off to him. Uh, Benton was the one that wrote the script. Uh, but it's kind of a, a failure on multiple levels because Benton's handwriting was fucked up, which we'll get into. Uh, and uh, Cleo did not take the time to actually physically take out the medicine, read it, read the label to him, show it to him and everything because she got interrupted because the diabetic patient came in. So whoopsies. Uh, We'll circle back to this a little bit later, but for now, Lydia tells Luca that there is something strange on Steve Maldonado's labs. Rut row. We'll check in on that in just a moment. And Mark and Chen are talking about uh, telling Joe about the Huntington's diagnosis. Uh, and he explains that since Joe isn't Chen's patient, she legally cannot tell her. So, rough. Indeed. Uh, Luca goes to talk to Steve, and uh, turns out young Steve here has a history of drug use. And what? Young Steve here. <laughs> 
He's a young man. Yes, go on. I uh, tested positive for cocaine. So, cocaine. That's really what did it. It's young Steve here tested positive for cocaine. Cocaine. Uh, but he can't get the kidney because he's still using cocaine. When it destroyed, your, when it destroyed his first. Life. Isn't that for Metalocalypse? What? Isn't that for Metalocalypse? I don't know. You started saying it yeah, that way it to is. me, and then I, that, I cannot say. It. It's one of those words. Cocaine. I can't. Yeah, it's from Metalocalypse. Uh, but Lucas pissed that he has. Lucas pissed because he has less than an hour to get another viable candidate in here. Hence the episode title. Viable <laughs> options. Says the starring one Lucas. Says Kovac. the title of the episode wins the game. Uh, uh, cocaine. That's what this episode should have been called. Cocaine Steve. Oh, Jesus. Young uh, Cocaine Steve. So, Joe introduces her fiance to Chen. Glenn is the most milk toast human being in the existence of ever. He thinks it's depression that Terry must have. Chen has to keep her mouth shut and say, yeah, it could be a lot of different things. And Joe and Terry leave. Yeah. Her, her fucking fiance just could have been called exposition. Like there is, he serves, he serves no purpose other than to come in here and just like nudge this story a little further along. And then he just apparates into the mist. Jesus. Um, yeah, pretty much. He's like, okay, I'm going to go move the car by. Um, but then Carol goes in and sees Carrie with Angie uh, she's doing a central line. Everybody's surprised. Oh, no. Well, only Carol because she's the only one in there. Very fair. <laughs> um, she did, in fact, get the override from Mark, so she says she's clear to do it and tells Carol not to step in to assist so Carol doesn't get in trouble. And, and Doug Ross up in heaven does the little, like, satisfied nod, Jif. Like, he's just... I, just, I, I just, just reaching out a giant right? fist from heaven to give her a bump, give it a big bump. I just Seattle heard, is heaven, apparently. But. I just heard, like, a horse neigh in the distance from, like... St- from uh Doug up on his <laughs> up on his high horse. horse. Have you ever been yeah, have you ever um, been on a horse so high you went to heaven? But um yeah, the difference is Carrie's not getting Carol in trouble. Well, she's learned. She's, she's learned from her, Doug's mistakes. Yeah. She's not letting her be complicit. Like if this was her. a Star Wars movie, there would absolutely be a Doug Ross Force Ghost in the corner like <laughs> nodding and just being like you did it. I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. How's it feel? Just smiling like all three of the like, no, like uh, Obi Wan, Yoda, and Anakin at the end of Return no, of the Jedi. No, it's Sith Kermit. <laughs> Sith Kermit, do it. Do it. <laughs> That's what should have been on the TV instead of the Muppets. It should have been Sith Kermit. Just come on, Carrie, do it. Maybe it was. <laughs> we don't know. We didn't see oh, the TV the whole God, time. God, why are we writing this episode better than the actual episode? <laughs> Oh, is this what Be Still My Heart and All in the Family has done to us? We're just <laughs> fucking ridiculous. I'm sorry for the cough, folks. You're good. <laughs> I can't breathe. Take, take some water. Take a <sighs> All right. Anyway, uh, Romano is drilling Benton and Cleo about what happened. What the fuck happened with this prescription nonsense? Carter's just sitting on the side and smirking. <laughs> Carter's the best in this scene. Yeah. Because apparently he just kind of he just kind of got roped into it, like because it's like, oh, can you read this? Oh. What? I don't know. It's a whole. It's a whole thing. Also, Abby also gets roped into it for like two minutes, which is the only time I know. We see her this I want to be more a tyranny this week because she cashed a fucking check for like six minutes of work. Like she comes yeah. in, fucking like if it weren't for Abby, Carter would be the MVP of this uh, whole scene. But Abby getting brought in, asked to read this one thing, failing, and then when Romano gets pissed, she goes, "Can I go?" And and, just and then just dips, just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. 
and this is one of those scenes like I would have loved to get get an audio, but definitely go back and watch this oh, scene yes. because there's so many subtle like physical funny yeah. bits it's, in it. Noah Wiley is is coming having back the time of his life. Good, yeah. good form after his his serious couple weeks. Yeah, it's, it makes the scene much less serious when you're watching when you're actually watching mm-hmm. it versus yeah. just the dialogue. Uh, but Cleo blames it on the incoming trauma. Oh yeah, whatever. Uh, and according to Romano. Tag Team Negligence. So good. Featured on WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Romano uh, then prohibits Benton and Cleo from writing prescriptions until he sees fit. See how that goes. Uh, and Cleo Benton then sort of get into an argument about it after everyone leaves. They I also want to a note, little bit of a tiff. I also want to note um, when when Romano leaves, Carter stands up and does a little like burr jacket <laughs> hold thing, and it's it's just it's so fucking good it's that same it's that same shit eating thing you do with your managers when you're all in it together and you realize y'all fucked up (laughs) and you're just like well that just went poorly man like i don't even care that he's making a liar out of me from all in the family when i was like this is the end of the show's innocence you're never going to do anything funny ever again until after he gets through and then it's like not even three episodes later and we're getting fucking comedy gold out of him like it's uh, i'll take the l on that one uh, but we go. I'll from, take the L to work tomorrow. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to acknowledge that with a response. We go from there to Lizzie chewing out uh, Luca for calling Unos again. Uh, uh. Uh, she's mad because Luca wants to pass on uh, young cocaine Steve, uh, and he is up on his high horse. Doesn't think that the guy is worthy of it, and would rather the kidney go to waste, which is a hell of a fucking angle to take which, there. Fuck you, Luca. Right? Like. <laughs> What a fucking just like up his own ass attitude towards this. Uh, and Lizzie, rightfully so, it would rather put it in someone right now, even if he's a flawed candidate, than it go to waste. Because obviously you would. Like yeah. This Lizzie agrees with this li- other Lizzie. Right? Like, is there any fucking universe or any fucking like... Under what circumstances is Luca in the right in this situation? Because I can't find him. Because he's he's also channeling Doug Ross, but he's channeling it in the kind of the wrong way. Right, he's channeling that uh, that really early season one episode of Doug Ross where he gets mad at the uh, dad because the girl uh, ODs on cocaine, and turns out oh actually it was her sister, not the dad. You berated a black father for nothing. Sucks to be Doug Ross. Like, uh... He mixed up the summoning spell to get the Force Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> this whole episode is... This whole episode is haunted by Doug Ross. Oh my Guys, God. we're at an hour and a half. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, then we go back and check in uh, with Angie and Mrs. Dwyer. Uh, Romano is checking in on them. And uh, Mrs. Dwyer makes her impassioned plea to uh, Romano that she is not ready to give up on her yet. And Romano does a very good patient-facing thing mm-hmm. here because normally he's just a dick all around. He does a very good job with this foster mother. Yes. Like, he's... Like I he said, is a, he's my MVP for the episode. Like, yeah. he's, the, he's the fucking glue that is holding this mess of an episode together from being a complete disaster. Like, this episode would be an absolute shit show if it were not for Romano. He's in the trenches today. It's good. Uh, but then, oh no, Carrie's at Admit, uh, and she sees Robert starting to walk over. She heads over to him, and he confronts her about putting in the central line. And he's like, I told you not to do it. And she goes, yep, and I took it under advisement. 
he total deadline. That's that's what it was. Was her um when she and Romano were talking earlier, and she's like, "Yep, okay, that's your professional opinion. Great. Yep, <laughs> take it into consideration. It's a deadline. Um, yep, get fucked. And he suspends her effective immediately until further notice. Man. Turn in all your charts. Go home. My man is just flexing his muscles today. Like fucking Cleo and Benton can't write prescriptions anymore. Cle- uh, fucking Carrie's suspended. Like, dude, your med student died like three episodes ago. Aren't you a little short on the manpower thing? Like, shouldn't you maybe not go around willy nilly suspending people? Carter, I'm sure is not back to a full schedule yet. Right? Like, let's think about this from a logistical standpoint for a second there, Bob. Anyway, uh, speaking of Carter. Uh, he's uh, headed home to. He's headed home and runs into Mark in the lounge. Let's listen in. Carter, you going home? Yeah. I really wish I weren't, though. My uh, grandparents are throwing one of their dinner parties. You have to go. I'm staying there, so attendance is kind of compulsory. I have a question for you. Shoot. Twelve-year-old presents with abdominal pain, diarrhea, low-grade fever, no ill contacts. What do you do? Any vomiting? No. Probably gastroenteritis. But that sounds like a trick question to me. So I'd probably order a CBC and dip a urine to rule out a UTI. That's what I thought you'd do. Did I pick up anything abnormal? Maybe the CBC, and uh, I don't know about the urine because you didn't order one. Eddie Bonero, you saw him last fall. Came back today with... Type 2 uh, diabetes, hyperosmolar coma. And Cleo told me. Uh-huh. Is it going to be okay? Should be. <clears throat> Would have been nice if we caught it earlier. Yeah, kid must not have looked that sick. What did I say? Stomach flu? Yep. Yeah, I really wish I could remember him. I feel bad. Must have misdiagnosed. He didn't have any insurance. Really? What are they going to do? Well, they're okay. They have it now. Oh, good. Is there anything else you want to tell me, Carter? made a mistake i'm sorry have a nice party thanks carter is such a shit heel a little bit like if you made like i understand you could probably get fired for something like this so you'd want to cover your ass for it but just carter you are the worst liar ever (laughs) you have this it's the specific tone of voice he always uses when he's lying it's such a huge tell it is it's yeah. only I will say though it is only the second worst lie he tells in this episode the the worst lie that he tells in this episode is when his barber asked him does this look good and he was like yeah Jesus that Christ. was the worst one this Jesus is this is number Christ. two yeah he can afford a good haircut now he's right? living with gamma I don't know though I mean if you look at our current crop of you know celebrity uh overlords like there's some real fucking tragic haircuts in that group too so apparently money can't buy taste. Well, he's still waiting on the workman's comp settlement, I'm sure, for everything that happened. Maybe so. Can't afford a good haircut. Oh, but then we, Lucas sees Lizzie taking up Steve, cocaine man for the kidney, uh, and she gives him the best glare as she gets on that elevator. It's so good. I'm glad that, the uh, you know, not cooler heads, but like just <laughs> the right side one in that situation. Yeah. I'm terrible. I was going to say he lives to snort another day. Jesus Christ. Anyway, <sighs> moving on. Let's, uh, we got some good bench content here for you, so let's listen in. Hey, 
Yes, Peter? I didn't like how we left things. You mean you're screaming at me? You mind if I come in? Suit yourself. Got one more set. <laughs> you always work out in your living room? <sighs> Beats the garage. Uh, listen, I, um... <clears throat> I was angry that I got dragged into all of this. Wasn't even a surgical patient. Cleo, I know it gets crazy down there. I just want you to know that, uh, you know, I don't blame you. Oh, you don't? No, I don't. Oh. You want me to give you a hand? No. Several things about this. Oh, uh, can I do mine first? Oh, okay. Of course she's working out. That's part of it. Like, that's part of my several things. Like uh, The other thing, isn't there a fire going in her house? Who has a fire okay. going in their living room while they're working out? Okay, sorry, go ahead. First, but that, but th both of those tie into my several things. Because Great, go first, for it. first thing is, why does fucking Cleo have, like, a senator's house? Like, she has this, like, palatial fucking house with it's the fireplace gorgeous. and, like, pillars and shit. And it's like, you work, like, the night shift in a county ER. Like, I'm, you know, I know doctors make good money, but, like, they don't make this good money, like, for the job we, you're doing. We, don't we were told they were, they made shit money when they Well, that was when they, they were, that, that was when they were residents, yeah. but. Yeah. But. In any event, like, I feel like Cleo's house is, like, way too nice for... Well, considering we don't know anything because she's so one-dimensional, the character true. wouldn't really get, like, a proper backstory for her, at least yet. Very so true. She could come for money. She could be, like, Carter Rich. Who maybe maybe she was a successful basketball player before she yeah. decided to be a doctor. I didn't do the legwork to go check, uh, but I did think about it, and it's the thought that counts. Yeah. I didn't do the legwork to go check. But the set for this is incredibly reminiscent of Uselich's house from season two. Like mm. it is, I like I'm not saying it's the same set because why would they keep that around for four years? But well, there's workout gear in this one too. But I, I but I could gear. see them like I could see them like using like blueprints or something like using set design documents and. Oh. Yeah. Also, I'm a goddamn five year old. I got so viscerally ugh, at the kissy noise. Oh, the kissy, the, the kissy Sorry noises. The gross kissy noises, but always gross. But my second thing as a personal trainer and somebody who went to school for this and has a degree in exercise science, what exercise is she doing? Like what? I feel like the, the action notes in the script were just Cleo does. Cleo does stuff with a weight because like she starts out doing a bicep curl and then it turns into some other thing where she's just kind of holding it. And then 
acting like she's never picked up a weight before in her life. Like those weights are maybe like and five then, pounds. And then when he goes, Oh, do you need a hand? Yeah. She acts like she's deadlifting a tree. Like when, because he's like, do you need a hand? She's like, no, like it's just weird. Just very weird. Like we don't need more fitness content on this show. We really don't. Third of all, maybe I'm just in my 30s with back problems, but sex on the stairs seems like the worst fucking <laughs> idea. Like, well, she does invite him up for it to have sex in the shower. But they didn't. They don't make it that far. They stop and lay down on the stairs, which, again, I cannot stress enough, is a terrible idea. Somebody's Daniel, waking up with a backache tomorrow. You gotta do foreplay somewhere. I would be in so. traction for a month. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> That is, that was the most offensive thing in this episode. (laughs) Why would you do that to yourself? You killed Lauren. You officially killed Lauren. This is now the end of setting the tone in the art retrospective as a series because Lauren is now dead. Just. I'm crying. Take a breath. I can't. Oh, I'm glad we've been able to have such a fantastic time with such a meaningless episode. I know. It this, hurts. This episode is way too long, but whatever. We're having fun. We hope you're having fun I, too there. I would be in traction. <laughs> well, let's go to the next audio clip and Lauren can get her, get her silly, funny laughs out. I'm and good. All right. Well, Mark, uh, Mark gets home from work. An airplane. Out of wood? No, out of carbon fiber. Dad? Uh, think it'll be ready by March? I don't think so. <laughs> well, thanks for letting us. I'm wearing it. I just didn't want to drag it to the can. Uh-huh, I didn't say anything. You were about to. Backup oxygen's low. I didn't notice. I'll go to the hospital and get you another one. Well, it should get me through the night. I don't want to take any chances. Whatever you say. I made some macaroni and cheese and some extra on the on the counter. Thanks. Say, I saw Elizabeth today. Yeah, she told me. Did she say anything about that 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 place, uh, the hospice? I checked it out. There weren't any spots available. Well, when will they have one available? I don't know. They didn't say. There's a long waiting list. Waiting list? What? What's the point of that? I don't know. Looks like you're stuck with me for a while. Yeah. Fucking liar. Yeah, piece of shit. God damn it. I hate Mark in this instance right here. This is the most selfish bullshit I have ever seen on this show. Uh, it's, it's up there. It is up there. But, but, but St. Mark. This, no, this is bullshit. I fucking hate this version, this particular variation of mark i understand he wants to keep his dad close wants to take care of him wants him to be around but this is not how you do that no you yeah. do not rob your father of his, his last bit of agency as he's dying agreed also i love it i made some mac and cheese yeah and i and i'll take fucking david green eating noises over cleo and benton kissing yes, noises absolutely any day of the week give me give me david green eating mac and cheese asmr until i die on a loop over that well, give me the end of this episode. Uh, God, talk about a fucking like shoehorned in here bullshit at the end. Like, so Luca is grilling at Carol's house. Uh, 
burning the ever-loving shit out of some steaks. Uh, and, of course, it starts snowing because it's April. Uh, I'm acutely aware of the weather patterns, not only in Chicago, but also here in Minnesota. It's killing me. It snowed, it snowed this April. Oh, yeah. It snowed, like, last week here. Uh, and, yeah. it, and, it, and then it was, like, 60 degrees a couple days later. Like, it was I'm, – I'm really sick of it. Uh, and Carol's like, well, we can finish cooking them inside. And he's like, no, damn it. I came here to barbecue because it just goes to show you that, uh, even if you were from Croatia originally, you're still a man at heart. Like where it's like, no, I'm going to be stubborn and cook out here in the snow. God damn it. Uh, and she offers, she says, well, you're going to freeze to death. I'll get you a sweater. And he's like, I don't think your sweaters will fit me. And, oh, aren't they cute? I'm so glad we're going to do this now, which I appreciated it. I found it cute. And I laughed. I will say, I will say the only thing positive I have to say about this is I thought that this, uh, nonsense that we're about to dive into, uh, I thought it took up a lot more time and a lot more space in the season than it is apparently going to, because we're yeah. only a few episodes short of the end of the season and her leaving. So, like, I really thought this, that this encompassed a lot more of the season than it has. This has really been just, like, one or two little moments, which makes this all the more, like, kind of just pointless to me. I know in a couple episodes we're going to have, like, a, a through line. Sure, yeah. The two of them when he's taking her to buy a car. Yeah, I, I know we're going to have their field trip to Wrigley Field coming up yeah. at some point, which is the, really yeah. the only thing I remember about their their time together other than her leaving. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it's just odd way to end an odd episode like it's a it's an yeah. episode that as i said earlier i think has some interesting things to say and has brings up some interesting ethical dilemmas and and done differently could have been a very interesting uh examination of those dilemmas but goes about it in the absolute clumsiest way possible yeah mm-hmm. it's just seven point seven point five six uh, seven. i will say the doug, the doug ross's force ghost will give this one a 10 out of 10 <laughs> i personally give it a seven yeah six again six seven lots of good there's a lot of lots of good parts in here and the, they just sort of like do nothing with the huntington's patient which yeah was, i thought that was really an still, interesting storyline still better pacing than last week yes though. i will yeah you're absolutely right lauren it is an improvement over last week um in the sense that at least this last week may have been more competent in terms of pacing and in terms of like actually executing its ideas. Um, but this one has better ideas and is just worse executed. So it's kind of a pick your poison situation, but, and hopefully, you know, this is just a, a minor blip in the road. I know we finished the season very strong, so I'm not worried about that, but like one of my favorite episodes, this is, this is just that point of the season that, you know, like when we yep. talk to writers, like this is the part they hate too. This is the part that like sweeps are over. It's not time for season finale stuff yet. We, we can't wrap it up. Yeah. We can't wrap it up yet. We have to, Put something. Yeah, put this something this is the doldrums for them too. So I mean, I I totally get it. And it's what's but what's disappointing about it is that there's something there's a good episode in here. If you'd mm-hmm. have just tweaked it a little bit, like I, I to have a a guy like I completely forgot that Mitch Pelegi was ever on this show. Like I, I when I saw him pop up, I was like, holy shit, I love him. Skinner is like one of my favorite characters on the X Files, and he just feels like criminally underused in this episode. Like he just you have this like dynamic talent there and you just kind of like meh you know it just doesn't really do it for me just peters out yeah starts off really strong and then just peters exactly exactly lauren what do two listeners have to say about it okay um there's only two two, yeah (laughs) 
Uh, Zoe M says, I always found this one strange as they never really mentioned transplant services having anything to do with ER or Corday's job before or after this. Thank you, Zoe. And at full-time dad, the, at the full-time dad says, and we've reached the soft point of this season. Yet you could argue that if this is the soft point, this isn't all that bad. It's a busy episode with some storylines that don't hit the kidney transplants, some that kind of do, Peter's shitty penmanship, and several that are pretty strong. The Diabetes Kid, The Huntington's Patient, David Green, Elizabeth, Mark, and Hospice, and of course, Romano and Carrie. Quiet Furious Romano is a frightening mood. He reminds me of my dad when I'd get in trouble at school, lol. And of course, we've got the continuation and progression of two relationships that get a lot of criticism around these parts that I personally am okay with. As predictable as their pairing was, Benton and Finch are so hot, and it's nice to see her crack away at Peter's steely veneer. Daniel, your face is fucking killing me. <laughs> Hashtag bench. Hashtag and Luke, traction for a month. And Luke away. Hathovach. Hathovach. We use, we use Christian names in this household. Hathovach. Luke away. Hathovach. Come on, admit it. They've got cute moments. I think if you look at it as a vehicle to drive Carol back to Doug, it works just fine. As friends, they have cute moments. When they start trying to force the romance thing, I'm out. Well, this episode's out. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. I would like to say we've gotten a lot of good support on Patreon lately. Yes. Lots of new members. We love you all. Thank you so much for contributing to the show. Uh, but... For anyone who's not, you can for only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 40 hours of bonus, bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, and movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast. And we are at Saying the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me on our official Setting the Tone Discord that is now up. Oh, yeah, if you want that. to get on that... Ping us on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll send you an invite link. Also, I want to note that aside from the Team Jerry sticker, you will also get a Setting the Tone logo sticker, a Whose Films Are Those sticker with my cartoon face on it, and a Green Day Ship sticker. I like those to be surprises. I don't care. I want people to know what they're getting because money money moves. Okay. Um, <laughs> Every once in a while, I like to remind people that it's not just the one sticker. So, guys, pretend you didn't hear it because Lizzie likes them to be surprises when she mails them out. Also, if you join us on the Discord and you are a patron, your name is a different color. Woohoo! And you get <laughs> access to special channels. Yeah, I was say, there's a special channel just for you kind folks. Uh, you can find me not on that Discord because I never check Discord. But you can find me on Twitter. I'm at RandomGamer. That's J-M-3-R. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time and have a great week. Bye.